All right. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you guys. My name's Chris. Uh, it is an honor to be here. It's uh, man, I think it's been about two years since I've been here, and so there are a lot of familiar faces. It's really good to see some old friends and uh, lots of new faces too. So welcome. Glad you guys are all here. Uh, if you have your Bible, go ahead and grab it open to Judges chapter 6. Judges 6, um, we're going to look there today. Also Philippians 4. So maybe stick your finger in Philippians 4 or make a mark there or something and then uh, go to Judges 6. We're going to start there in just a second, all right? Uh, while you're turning there, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't also say Happy Father's Day to all the dads in this place. We're glad you're here. We're thankful for you. Actually, my dad is here with me this weekend. He lives in Alabama, but my parents came up for the week. Weekend. And so would you help me just say hello to my dad and thank him for all he's done for me. He's right there in the back. Honored to have dad with me today. Uh, and uh, man, I'm just so, so, so thankful to be able to be here. And here's what I know about being a father. It's one of the greatest joys of my life. Um, and I know that's probably true for all of you dads in the room as well. But I also know um, it's one of the most stressful things in our lives too. Uh, and the difficult and stressful days uh, didn't take very long in my life to start. Uh, in fact, the, the stress of being a father and of parenting started on day one that my son Connor was born. I had three kids, Connor, Emma, Brady. Connor's my oldest. And uh, I remember the day that he was born, we were in the hospital, we were waiting on him to arrive, and the doctor said, hey, one more push and you're gonna meet your son. And so I was so excited about uh, meeting my firstborn son. I'd heard my dad and my mom say stories about how the first moment they saw me, they fell in love with me, and I was the most beautiful thing they'd ever seen. I was like, no, no, I'm just kidding. And uh, so I'd heard them tell those stories. And so I was expecting this moment of like feeling this just emotional ascent. And and just this immediate attachment and affection for my son. And so I was so excited about meeting him for the first time. And so the doctor says, one more push, you're going to meet your son. And I'm waiting on this moment of just emotion and love to rush over me. Connor arrives, and man, I'm telling you, here's the first words that came out of my mouth. They weren't, I love you, son. You're the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. The first words out of my mouth when I saw my newborn son arrive into the world were, that's the ugliest thing I've ever seen in my life. And y'all, he was. He was. He was cone-headed and gray and slimy and like an alien dipped in motor oil. Just nasty. Just, just nasty. And he was. He was ugly. But, but now that I've said this right out of the gate, like the first words out of my mouth as a father were that my son was the ugliest thing I'd ever seen. And so I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'm not starting this out well. Then the doctor asked me if I wanted to cut the cord, right? You dads have been there, probably. If you were in the room, they asked you if you want to cut the cord. And now I'm nervous about this. I'm going to screw this up too. Because you cut the wrong thing. It's awkward for him for the rest of his life, right? And so and now he's asking for like, uh, like a surgical procedure. And I'm an amateur. And he's asking, I've already screwed up the day. And so he's asking me to do this thing. And so I'm super nervous about it. We got that done okay. But that night, they asked the question. They said, hey... Do you want to keep Connor in the room with you, or do you want to send him to the nursery? And so let me pause for just a second. For those of you who will have kids at some point in your life, for those of you, maybe you're pregnant right now, you're awaiting your first child, I want to give you some advice from a father of 18 years, okay? Here's the advice. If they ever ask you, do you want to send him to the nursery? The answer is yes, because you will never sleep another night in your life, especially that first night. And the first night Connor was in the world, 
And I'm telling you, he cried all night long. And finally, I just, I couldn't sleep, maybe slept 30 minutes the whole night. It was about four in the morning. And finally, after he cried for the 73rd time, I, I literally yelled, Connor, stop crying, right? And so all of a sudden the nurse comes rushing in and the nurse is like, what's wrong, what's wrong? And now I'm afraid I'm gonna, they're not gonna let me take him home because I've screwed so many things up in the first day of parenting. Like it was chaos from the very first day. And I can tell you since that day, I can tell you story after story after story of how many days of chaos have ensued after that day. But also there are so many days of great joy. But here's what I bet this morning. I bet that if you're a dad or even if you're not, that there's a lot of chaos in your life right now. If there's not, don't worry, there will be very soon. <laughs> because what's true about all of us is we're either coming out of chaos in it right now or are heading into chaos at some point. And what I know about all of us is that there are always times in all of our lives where we just go, man, I need some peace. Like if I just have, could have some peace, where's the peace? Why is there chaos all around me right now? or all the time. And, and honestly, it doesn't take long in our world just to look around and see chaos all around us, right? I mean, we, we live, just turn the news on. We live in a world of unrest and disunity and chaos, and it's all around us. And for some of you, you feel it very acutely right now. You feel chaos in your life. You feel uncertainty in your life. You feel anxiety in your life. And for some of you, you're longing for just peace right now. You feel it in your heart. And, it, and honestly, it's easy to come in on Sundays and kind of put on a nice hard candy shell on the outside that looks good. But on the inside, if you were honest in your heart of hearts, if we could kind of open up the curtain of your heart, you would be, we'd be able to look into your heart and we'd be able to see, man, there's, there's a battle going on in your heart. It looks good on the outside. There's chaos on the inside. Um, there's a Jewish philosopher, not a Christian, Jewish philosopher years ago um, named Philo of Alexandria, and he said this. He says, be kind because everyone you see is fighting a great battle. Everyone you see is fighting a great battle. And for some of you, that battle is in your heart right now because you struggle with anxiety. For others of you, that battle is with a relationship in your life. Maybe in a family situation, a relationship's fractured or there's tension with you and your kids or with you and um, your spouse. Your marriage is maybe on the rocks right now. Maybe for some of you, um, the chaos or the battle that you're fighting is at your work. And you're, if you're honest, your boss just grates on you. <laughs> or somebody at your workplace just grates on you. Or you're not enjoying what your hands find themselves doing every day at work. Maybe for some of you, the chaos you feel is in a health situation. Because you're either facing a diagnosis or anticipating a diagnosis or you're fighting a battle around your health situation right now. And you, you look at those things, whatever they may be in your life, and you just go, man, if I could just have some peace right now, I would love it. And so if that's you, if you can relate to any of that, I'm so glad you're here today. Because today we're continuing this series that we're calling Jehovah. And what we're doing in this series is we're talking about the names of God. Not all of them, but some of the names of God that you find in the Bible. And we're kind of seeing how the name of God that we're talking about applies to our lives. And so today we're going to talk about the name of God, Jehovah Shalom. Jehovah Shalom, which very simply means the Lord is peace. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. Now, um, here's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at Judges 6 because in Judges 6, what you find is you find God's people longing for peace. God's people living in a time 
of chaos. So um, what was going on in the context of this is God's people for about seven years had been under the oppression of a group of people called the Midianites. And what the Bible teaches about this situation is that for seven years, the Midianites ravaged God's people. In fact, it says early in chapter 6 that they swarmed in like locusts. And for seven years, the Midianites, if Israel had crops, they would take their crops. If Israel had animals, cattle or whatever, they would take their, their animals. It says that they hid out in caves because they were afraid for their lives. Like to say that they were living in a time of chaos and unrest and disunity and longing for peace would be a massive understatement. So God's people are living under the same things that many of us feel right now. And look what the Bible says in Judges chapter 6, verse 6. It says, And Israel was brought, what? Very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. So let me pause and just summarize basically what the Bible is trying to tell us in that one verse. In essence, what the Bible is saying here in this one verse is that the seven years of despair that Israel is currently under is the very thing Israel needed the most because it was in the middle of the seven years of despair and the fact that that despair had brought them so low, it was in their desperation that caused them to cry out for, to God. And isn't it true that sometimes when turmoil happens in our lives, and when chaos happens in our lives, isn't it true that somehow magically our prayer lives get better? <laughs> I know that's not just me. Like that most definitely happens in my life. Um, since I've been here about a year and a half ago, my wife was diagnosed with cancer and she's cancer free now, praise the Lord. But in those days when we were facing that diagnosis and uncertain about what the next day would hold, man, I'll tell you this, my prayer life got a whole lot better. That happens, right? When, when we don't have anywhere else to turn, when we're flat on our backs, the only place we can look is up. And right, there's something about being in those desperate moments, in those moments of chaos, that drastically increase our prayer lives and improves our sense of desperation for the Lord. In fact, um, in my quiet time this week, I read a quote from a guy named Paul David Tripp. Here's what he said. He said, the trials in our lives exist not because God has forgotten us, but because he remembers us and he's changing us by his grace. So, so Chris, what are you saying? What I'm saying is that maybe God is allowing this unrest, this unsettledness, this tension, this chaos, this warring that's going on in your heart. Maybe God in his grace is allowing that chaos in your life because what he's doing is he's sanctifying you. And he's producing in you a desperation for him that you might never find any other way, right? And so maybe God in his grace, this trial, this circumstance that you find yourself in, maybe, maybe this is a grace of the Lord because he's sanctifying you. But then let's go on in the passage because I want you to see another reason that this trial, this, this uh, chaos might be happening in your life. Look at verse 7. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. 
Now, more, more on this idea in just a second, but basically what we're seeing here is that God in his grace through the prophet is giving them a reminder of how he had uh, delivered them in the midst of their chaos in the past of what he had been up to in the middle of the difficult situations that they had found themselves in in the past. And basically what he's saying is, man, I've been faithful in the past. Why would you doubt for even a single second that I'm faithful now in the middle of the chaos that you're in right now? And he goes on, verse 10, look. And it says, And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. And then this next little line's important. But you have not obeyed my voice. If you know anything about the Bible, you Bible scholars in the room know that the book of Judges is a book that over and over you sort of see this cycle of God's people following God and then they turn away from God to idols and they run after them and God in his, really, really his, uh, his grace allows them to be sort of plundered and, and pillaged because it's in their desperation that then they turn back to him. He raises up a judge to lead them out of the captivity that then they find themselves in and then they start to follow him again. And then that whole cycle goes over and over again all throughout the book of Judges. And what you're seeing here in this passage is that happened yet again. That what God is saying here is that it's actually they're turning away from him and two other things. Let me just summarize that in one word. It's actually their sin that has caused them to get in this situation of chaos that they find themselves in. And so basically what the Bible's saying to us is maybe the chaos you find yourself in right now, the warring that's going on in your heart, is very simply because of an unconfessed uh, sin in your life. That maybe it's sin that's interrupting the peace that you're really looking for. Maybe there's a sin in there that's unconfessed to God or maybe to someone else whom you've sinned against. My mom used to always say, the most miserable person in the world is a Christian who's not running after the Lord, who has unconfessed sin in their life. And and I was reading some Tony Evans this week who actually wrote a book about the names of God. He said, unwillingness to address the sin is a refusal to receive the peace. That maybe the chaos, the warring, the lack of peace that you find in your life is because of unconfessed sin in your life. And so just like God allowed the Midianites to run over Israel, maybe God is allowing hell and chaos to run over you because you're not walking with him. And for some of us, the chaos in our lives is because of a sin that we're very simply not addressing. And if you ever want shalom, the peace of God in your life, you need to confess. You need to confess your sin to someone whom you've sinned against, and and certainly to God. So then, let's go on in the passage. Verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared. Now, theologians for centuries have um, debated this right here, but basically what this is, is this is a Christophany. And some of you Bible nerds know what Christophany is. A Christophany is a pre-incarnate manifestation of Jesus Christ himself. And so the angel of the Lord here is actually a pre-incarnate Jesus appearing. So Jesus appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is, hold on to this, with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all of this happened? 
And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has um, forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, The Lord, Jesus, turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? Now catch what Gideon is saying right here. Gideon's saying, like, God, what do you mean you're with us? Right? You said you were with us, but how are you with us? Like, it doesn't seem like you're with us because when you were with our ancestors, we saw the miracle you did. When you rescued them from Egyptian captivity and you did that awesome thing with the Red Sea. Like, we, we know you were with them because we see evidence of it in the miracle you did. But right now, I don't see any miracles. Hey, how, what do you mean you're, you're with us? And, and what, what he says to Gideon is basically, Gideon, you don't understand. I know it doesn't feel like I'm with you right now, but you don't understand. I've been here all along. Even in the midst of the difficulty, even in the midst of the chaos, even in the midst of the seven years of plundering. Listen, let me give you a statement. If you write anything down, I want you to write this down. The presence of pain in your life does not mean the absence of God. The presence of pain in your life does not mean the absence of God. And what the Lord is saying to Gideon in this passage is, Gideon, please understand that. And understand that I'm sovereign. And I'm in control. And I'm working. And maybe I'm doing something that you can't see. And maybe for you, if you're in the middle of chaos in your life right now, maybe that's what you need to hear. Listen, this is not my words. This is not words that I, that I made up for a sermon. The Bible has just said this to Gideon, and he said, God is saying it to you. God's saying to you, I am with you. I'm with you in the middle of your chaos, in the middle of the tension, in the middle of the warring in your heart. I'm with you, and I'm sovereign, and I'm in control, and I'm doing something that maybe you can't see, something that's greater than you could ever ask or imagine. In fact, maybe what God is doing in his sovereignty is he's giving you this test because he wants to allow this test to become your testimony. Maybe he wants this mess that you're in to become your message. Maybe he wants this greatest misery that you find yourself in right now to become the greatest ministry you could ever have in your life. God's up to something. He's doing something that's greater than you could ever ask or imagine. In fact, um, that's what he's about to tell Gideon in this passage. And basically, he's about to tell Gideon, Hey, Gideon, I want to use you to mount a resistance against the Midianites. I want to use your weakness and your feeling of vulnerability right now. I want to use it um, for, for my glory. And so I'm going to use you greater than you could ever imagine. And so look what he says in verse 16. He says, and the Lord said to him, but I will, he says it again, be with you. I will be with you and you shall strike down the Midian, uh, strike, strike the Midianites as one man. Look down at verse 23. But the Lord said to him, peace, shalom, be to you. Do not fear, you shall not die. Then verse 24, then Gideon, look what he did. He, he has a worship service. He built an altar there to the Lord and called it, Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. And to this day, it stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Abezerites. Okay, now, here's what often we think. We often think that if our circumstances change, then we'll have peace. If I can just get out of this job 
and get a job that I want, I'll have peace. If I could just get healing from the sickness, then I'll have peace. If I could just get my marriage fixed, then I'll have peace. But I want you to notice something about when Gideon found peace. Notice in this passage, it wasn't when the Midianites waved the white flag. It wasn't when they gave the cattle back. It wasn't when they gave the crops back. No, the Midianites were still out there, and they had still ravaged and were still ravaging um, the Israelites. It wasn't, he didn't get peace when his circumstances changed. He got peace when he finally realized that in the middle of that chaos, the Lord was with him. And the Lord was sovereign. And the Lord was in control. And the Lord was doing something that he couldn't see. And what the Bible says is that it's him finally understanding, God's with me. He's with me. That he builds an altar to the Lord. And then he declares back to the Lord, oh God, you are Jehovah Shalom. The God of peace. It was before the problem was ever solved. He didn't praise God because his circumstances changed. He praised God because God was there in the middle of his circumstances, right? So that's what understanding and feeling and recognizing the God of peace, Jehovah Shalom, looks like in our lives. And maybe you hear all that and you go, that's cool for Gideon. But I don't don't know how you get there. I don't know how you get to a place where you can just say, okay, cool, God's a God of peace. Jehovah Shalom, let me praise him. How do, you, how do you get there? And if you're asking that question, I'm glad you're asking because I'm going to tell you in just a second. In fact, we're going to look at Pastor Paul. And uh, Pastor Paul in Philippians chapter 4, and this is a very familiar passage if you study the Bible very much. Philippians chapter 4, um, verses 6 through 9. And I want to, as I wrap this up today, get super practical with you from Paul's advice in Philippians 4. Look what it says. He says, Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace, shalom, of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, verse 8, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. When you've learned and received and heard, and what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace, Jehovah Shalom, will be with you. So in, in those few verses, he gives us three things, three super practical sort of steps to access the peace that Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace, gives. And I stole these three things from Tim Keller. Here's the way he says it. He says, thinking Thanking, and I wish there was another th word, but there's not. Thinking, thanking, and loving, okay? Thinking, thanking, and loving. Thinking first. Notice in verse 8, he says, Think about whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, and whatever is pure. And that's when the God of peace will be with you. That's when the God of peace will be with you. Now, Bible scholars point out that when Paul uses those Greek words that he's using in that passage, um, true, honorable, just, pure, all of those things, when he uses those Greek words, he's actually talking about doctrine. Think about doctrine. And so what's Paul saying here? Paul's saying, if you want the God of peace to be with you, then what you need to do is you need to think about doctrine. In other words, you think about what you know to be true about God and life. If you want to saturate your mind with peace, then you saturate your mind with the truth of who God is and what God has done. 
So, so let me just, if you, if you need a reminder of what God has done, can I just give you a very quick reminder? The tomb is empty. One person thinks that's awesome. Okay, cool. The tomb is empty. Five people. The tomb is empty. Come on, somebody. The tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. And here's what that means. That means that death is defeated. That means that cancer does not get the last word. That means that sickness and death doesn't get the last word. That means that relationship fractures do not get the last word. The tomb is empty. That's what's true about God. What's not true is some hypothetical fear that you've dreamed up in your life that's leading to chaos and unrest that you feel right now. That's not what's true. What's true is the tomb is empty. And there's coming a day where God is making, because of what he did on the cross and because the tomb is empty, making all things new. Death doesn't get the final word. Chaos doesn't get the final word. Jehovah Shalom gets the final word because the tomb is empty. So Tim Keller says, think Think about what's true about God. And then thanking. That's the second one. Thanking. Thanking. Did you notice in verse 6, he says, Don't be anxious, but let your thanksgiving be made known to God. In other words, he's saying an antidote for anxiety and the war and the battle that you're feeling in your heart, an antidote for those things is thanksgiving. Let your thanksgiving be made known to God. And so what he's saying is, if you want to get free of the battle of the war in your heart, of the chaos, and find peace, then take some time every day to pull yourself out of the chaos and the war that's going on all around you. Pull yourself out of the blast zone and up above it and say, God, thank you. Thank you. And you express your thanks to God. I have a little space in my journal that every day I just create a little block in my journal. I actually have it on my iPad a little block that says, what am I thankful for today? And do you know why? It's because of this. Because if I want to have peace in my heart, I've got to take some time every day to tell God what I'm thankful for. So thinking, thanking, and then the third one is loving. In verse 8, Philippians 4, Paul says, whatever is lovely and praiseworthy, think on those things. Th- those are words of affection, They're words of affection. And what Paul's saying here is that the reason you don't have peace could be because the primary affection of your heart is not in God, it's in something else. The primary affections of your heart are in things that your affections shouldn't be in. Remember when the Lord was talking to Gideon and he said, the Bible says uh, that, that God is peace. Gideon said, God is peace. You know what the Bible didn't say? The Bible didn't say money is peace. The Bible didn't say a good marriage is peace. Good marriage is awesome. The Bible didn't say good marriage is peace. The Bible doesn't say um, the job is peace. The Bible doesn't say that health is peace. God is peace. And what Paul is saying is that maybe the reason you don't have peace is because you're placing your primary affection in something that never promised to deliver peace. Something that's temporary. Not God, who's eternal. In fact, um, Augustine said, only the love of the immutable. That means something that can't ever be taken away, immutable. That's what that word means. Only the love of the immutable can bring tranquility. Let me rephrase. Only the love of God can bring peace. Is your primary affection somewhere besides God? If If it is, you will never, ever, 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 ever find the peace that your heart is longing for and was created for. Never. So, But if you find it, if you place your primary affection in God, 
And that's where your peace lies. And you say, God, no matter what circumstances come, out, come my way, my affection is with you. Listen, if that's true of you, nothing will ever shake you. Nothing will ever shake you. That's why Paul would say things like, you want to kill me? Kill me. To live as Christ, to die as gain. Doesn't matter what happens to me. To live as Christ, to die as gain. My peace is with God. And so, listen, so, so, so all that's awesome, but how do you access that kind of peace? Well, what the Bible tells, it's a story of someone who went to the Garden of Gethsemane and someone who was anguishing in anxiety because he was anticipating going to the cross. What the Bible tells the story of is someone who had nails driven through his hands and through his feet. What the Bible says is, tells is the story of someone who was tied to a post and whipped to almost the point of death. What the Bible tells the story of is the story of someone who drug a, a hundred or more pound cross for a really long way after he'd been tortured and mocked and spitten and, and beat. What the Bible tells the story of is someone while on the cross, naked and being made fun of, screams out, God, why have you forsaken me? What, what does all that mean? What the Bible's saying to us in that story is that Jesus on the cross was emptying himself of peace so that what? So that he could give it to you. That he was emptying himself of peace so that he could trade places with you. He was taking your chaos on himself and taking that chaos on him so that he could give you the peace that was his. The Bible calls that the great exchange. That's what Jesus was doing for you on the cross. And so if you want peace, you really want Jehovah Shalom, you let your heart rest in, feel the weight of, really believe that that's what Jesus was doing. And that's the story the Bible tells of the beautiful Christ who is our Savior. Jehovah Shalom. And what Jesus was saying on the cross is I would rather die than for you not to have peace in your heart. So if you don't have it today, if you don't have peace, if you have war, if you have battle, if you have chaos and you're longing for peace, Jesus died and walked out of that grave so that you could have it. You can have the peace of Jehovah Shalom. Let me pray for us. So Father, right now, I pray that my brothers and sisters would feel and know and experience the realness of a God who's always with us, of a God who has delivered in the past and will continue to deliver in the future of Jehovah Shalom. Father, um, would you help us to feel the weight of the grace that we've been offered in Jesus? God, um, I pray for brothers and sisters here that uh, in your grace, um, that you would allow them to confess maybe sin that's, that's blocking the peace that you want to give to us. Father, would uh, would you do a work in our hearts in the midst of the chaos that, like Gideon, it's, it's greater than we could ever ask or imagine? God, thank you that you gave Jesus your son on the cross to give us peace. Wrap our hearts in it in Jesus' name. Amen.